everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. Well, I want to begin with just a word of prayer as we open up God's Word, which we know of as the Bible. You might not know it's called God's Word. You've probably heard of the Bible, but this is the Word of God, and this is our authority, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what it says regarding a very, very popular yet sinister personality. Let's pray together. God, thank you for every single person here. And, and I, I thank you for those who are in the lobby, those who are, are uh, up, up, up tight uh, in the, the overflow areas, um, everyone who's hearing this, maybe out in the parking lot on the speakers, those who are seeing this at all of our different locations those who will uh, watch this, who are watching this right now online, around the world, television, etc. God, use my vocal cords right now to communicate your truth and your message. And may we leave here changed people for you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. When was the last time you said something that was not true? When was the last time you took something that was not yours? Why just to board an airplane do you need to go through all of these devices and and scans and things just to fly somewhere? Why do adults molest children? Why do millions and millions of people go to bed hungry each and every night? when we have enough resources to feed the world? Why do nations declare war against other nations? Why? Why? Why do most marriages now end in divorce? Why? Well, the short answer, and this is me talking, the devil. Some of you are like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I I believe that. Yeah, it's it's the devil. The short answer is the devil, yet if you really explain how his personality plays out, it's highly complex. But I've got to say, as I've looked around the world, I believe in a dark, sinister, evil force that is wreaking havoc in our world. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to say, yeah, I believe in the devil. Now, some of you are skeptical. You might be going, well, I don't know, Ed. I mean, I'm open to listening about the devil, but spiritual warfare and this this figure, this personality, the devil, come on. You seem like an educated guy, and yeah, I'm pretty educated. Went to school and college and Bible school, went to seminary for four years. I've done some doctrinal study. I've written 14 books, and I've had the opportunity to meet a lot of great theologians, a lot of brilliant thinkers, and ask them a lot of questions. And I've come to the conclusion, studying God's Word and then just observing that there is a devil. But I know when I talk about the devil, a series on the devil, I know I'm like walking a tightrope because some people maybe are like, man, I believe in the devil. I believe so much in the devil. I believe the demons are flying around. And, and the other day I was driving down the freeway and there was a demon of reckless driving. 
and the other day I had my haircut and my stylist messed up and it's the demon the haircut in the devil's barbershop. And, and, and some people are just demon dusters. They think the demons jump in and out of people like we jump in and out of cars. That's extreme. The other extreme would be people who are like, are you kidding me? Evil? It's just because of a damaged chromosome or my diapers were put on too tight. It's because of financial problems or poverty or hunger. My nursery was painted the wrong color. It comes from my family of origin. My father was this way. My aunt was that way. That's, that's why you have evil in the world, that this biological, genetic, weird thing. Those are the extremes. God's Word gives us, you won't believe this, the 411 on Satan. It doesn't tell us everything about it. And I think it's interesting that God does not tell us everything about angels and demons and the devil, because if we knew it all, our little pea brains couldn't take it. We'd blow a fuse. Over the last several years, I think I was looking back over the last eight years, I think two years straight, Fellowship Church was named one of the top nonprofits in America to work for. It's pretty good. Yeah. So because of that and because of, of, of other things, we receive a lot of resumes. And maybe at your work, you receive a lot of resumes, or maybe you're working on a resume right now because people change jobs a lot. When we have a resume, we look at it. You know, I've never met a resume I didn't like. And usually resumes are pretty positive. It tells us the best about ourselves. I was shocked as I began to really study this subject of the devil because the Bible gives sort of a, that's right, a resume of our enemy. Is that crazy? The resume. And, and I want you to learn and know and see this thumbnail sketch of the devil because if we are going to understand what the devil is going to do, we need to understand what the devil has done. And the Bible says itself in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, it says, we are not unaware of his schemes. It's about football season, right? Football season. Who likes football here? Yeah, everybody likes football. Every single person likes football. Have you ever heard of Coach Lou Holtz? Lou Holtz? Let me, let me imitate Lou Holtz. Here's what Lou Holtz says whenever teams are playing against one another. Well, I tell you one thing, they're going to run that ball that way every single time. And they better block that guy because if not, that running back's going to just run all day long. Now, their defensive scheme is this way. If you stay away from the nose guard, he's a motivator. He has a unique voice, right? Lou Holtz fires me up. He's always talking about the tendencies and the weaknesses and the strengths of the different teams. You play football, you're going to study your opponent. You're going to know their strengths, their weaknesses. You'll know where to attack. doesn't mean you obsess over your opponents. Sometimes we get obsessed so much over our opponent that we don't play the game. We have to know our opponent and know who we are and whose we are, and then it'll help us. Because as a follower of Christ, remember this, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. That's very important. If you are a follower of Christ, this should be a very inspirational, positive study. We're fighting from victory. 
The enemy does not want us to know who we are nor whose we are. That's why we need to understand his resume. A resume is going to have several elements. Number one, a resume is going to have contact information. The devil's contact information is very simple. 666 at Hotmail. <laughs> the devil, as we know, if we think about his background and history and, and employment history, used to be the lead worshiper in heaven. This is the devil. His name was Lucifer. The name Lucifer means star of the morning, bright and morning star. Picture Lucifer in heaven giving glory and worshiping God. He was one of the, many scholars believe, one of the archangels along with Michael, along with Gabriel. So he was like the man, one of the main players in heaven. Obviously, he got tired of giving glory to God. Now, let me stop here. He chose to do this cosmic kingdom coup to kick God off of his throne. So, the devil has throne issues. Say it with me. Throne issues. In all of our overflow environments, throne issues. All of our campuses, throne issues. He's got throne issues. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Ed, now wait a minute. Here is Lucifer in heaven. Heaven's perfect. And you're telling me that he tried to kick God off the throne. I don't, I don't understand that, man. Well, I don't understand it totally either. The Bible calls it, the Apostle Paul calls it, the mystery of iniquity. When we're created, and the angels are created beings, right? Lucifer, a created being. When we're created, we have a freedom of choice, a free will. He chose to rebel. He chose to elevate himself and to usurp God. And he took a third of the angels with him that tried to overthrow God. The Bible says in Isaiah 14, how you've fallen from heaven. You've been cast down to earth. You said in your heart, I'll raise my thrones above the stars of heaven. He said, I'm going to raise my, thr my throne above the stars of heaven, above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the Mount of Assembly. And then he says, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Sounds like some interview with a self-obsessed professional athlete or A-lister, doesn't it? Or, or music celebrity. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. Sounds like me sometimes. Does it sound like you? Do you ever, I just want to ask this question, do you ever have throne issues? I do. Do you ever come to a point where you say, you know what, <laughs> God, yeah, you're in my life. You're running the show, but I, I, you, you kind of move aside a little bit. I want to sovereignly rule over this universe called me. I want to do what I want to do. Pride, envy, greed, lust. The first book I ever wrote years ago was called Fatal Distractions, Overcoming Obstacles That Will Mess Up Your Life. It's on the seven deadly sins. The number one sin, the forerunner of all sin, is the sin of of pride, throne issues. Before I can involve myself in any sin, first of all, I've got to have this sin of pride. That's what the devil did. Lucifer said, I'm going to elevate myself. I'm going to dethrone you, God. He was kicked out of heaven through the uprights. Football metaphor continuing. Thank you. Fell to earth, 
took a third of the angels with him. Some of the angels were put in hell. Question, true or false? Is hell made for human beings? False. Hell is not made for humans. Hell is made for the devil and the demons. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. We make that choice. Throne issues. So throne issues begin in heaven. Satan lost the battle. They segued down into the garden. Throne issues. Adam and Eve, the whole deal. They had a freedom of choice. The enemy comes in, tempts them. Read about the temptation. Throne issues. You can become like God, Adam and Eve. You can sit on the throne of your life. You can sovereignly rule over this universe. You can do it. You're the man. You're the woman. Throne issues. And now the devil tries to accomplish in your life and mine what he couldn't accomplish in heaven. He's trying to work out on earth what he missed out on in heaven, which is to win a little micro victory in your life and mine by shoving Jesus off the throne and putting ourselves on the throne. It's called the sinfulness of sin. We know what sin is. The word sin, hamartia in the original language, means to miss the mark. We all sin. I sin every day. You do too. Everybody sins. Yes, sin is sin, but we don't realize the depth of sin. I don't realize like when I sin, not only am I falling short, but also, I'm trafficking with the devil. You're going to say, what? Not only do I fall short, I traffic with the devil. Say, what? What I'm talking about is, I am taking Jesus off the throne, putting myself on the throne, which the devil tried to do in heaven, and now he accomplishes that in my life and your life every time we sin. The sinfulness of sin. Satan's objectives, to steal, kill, and destroy. John chapter 10, Jesus talked about it. So it's like the devil says, okay, here's my game plan. Here's, here's my offense. Steal, kill, and destroy. It is what it is. So he's a created being, the devil. He has a freedom of choice. He knows the Bible backwards and forwards. Don't think he doesn't know scripture. And then... He knows history better than any history major on the planet. When I study history, recently I read a book about Ernest Hemingway's boat called the Pilar. I wasn't alive when he had that boat and fished out of that boat and took all these trips on the boat. I had to study that as I read the book. I had to study history. The devil doesn't study history. He's not like, oh, let me pick that book out or go online. No, he has experienced history. So he's very coy, very sly, very smart. So we see his resume. Now let's get to, the, get to the stuff that we can really, really apply and understand. Let's talk about how he really works, his goals, objectives specifically, Satan's goals and objectives specifically. The last time I sinned, I, I studied the sin, and I thought, man, every time I mess up, it's pretty much a three-step sequential predictable process. And then I thought, whoa, 
That's how Satan works in everybody's life. I began to study it in the scripture. So Satan works through T-L-C. Say it with me. T-L-C. I'm not talking about the learning channel. I'm not talking about the band. I'm not talking about tender loving care. No, no. I'm talking about T-L-C. This is how he works. T stands for temptation. He's the tempter. Think about Jesus. The devil tempted Jesus, the great temptation. Whenever the devil tempts you and me, he's trying to get us to settle for something less. He's trying to get get us off of our game. He's trying to get us off of our purpose. That is what he does, and we'll talk more and more about that. The temptation. One of our twins loves art, and she probably got that from me because I majored in the fine arts at Florida State University. When it comes to temptation, it's a painting contest. You've got one artist painting a picture, the tempter. You've got another artist, the Holy Spirit of God, if you're a follower of Christ, painting another picture. The devil might be painting a picture of anger. Some anger is good, but some anger is not good. Maybe toxic anger. Maybe he's painting a picture of insecurity. Maybe he's painting a picture of just exaggeration and and, then some gray areas of life. Maybe he's painting a picture of lust or whatever. While he's doing that, the Holy Spirit is painting pictures of integrity and, and holiness and potential and godliness. Which one do you supply with the paintbrushes, the paints, and the canvases? It costs a lot of money to me to buy art supplies. Time and time again, our daughter would run out of art supplies. She has a job and all that, and Dad, would you, would you go to the store, or could I have some money? Would you buy me some more paint or brushes or whatever? So I had a decision to make. If I stopped buying her supplies, feeding her supplies, she wouldn't paint anymore. But if I supplied her, she would keep painting. Question. Who are you supplying your art supplies to? The enemy or the Holy Spirit of God? That's the question. They're always painting. And the Holy Spirit of God wants you to look and concentrate and turn away from those paintings that the devil is trying to paint. But the devil is going to say, man, just just look at them. No big deal. So he, he moves from the temptation hat to the lying hat. Give me an L. He's a liar. John 8, 44, the father of lies. His native language, Jesus said, lies. He just lies and lies and lies and lies. White lies. Overt lies, lies where he takes the truth and just adds a little bit of falsehood in it. Just look at the picture. It ain't going to hurt you just to look at it. Can I have another paintbrush? Thank you. A little bit more acrylic paint. Oh, yeah, that, that, yeah, just, just a little bit. What would it be like to do that? You could really be successful then. I mean, I know it's kind of a gray area. You're breaking the law, but come on. Yeah, how about, whoa, look at her. Man, 
You, God wants you to be satisfied. I mean, you realize what you're missing. Yeah, you're married and all that. Don't, don't look at that, but just, but, just, but, just, but just come on, come on, come on. Look at it. Look at it. So we listen to those lies. Think about the Garden of Eden. We listen to those lies. Think about the last time you sinned. We listen to those lies. And then he really cranks up the volume. He goes, come on and do it. I painted the picture for you. It's a Picasso. It's a Renoir. Come on and do it. Man, no one will know. Are you kidding me? Your boss won't know. Your wife won't know. Your dad won't know. Coach won't know. Come on, man. Just, just go ahead and do it. Then when we do it, you would think he'd be like, okay, loser. Boom, you think he'd be off somewhere else. But that's when he moves to C, T-L-C. Give me a C. C. He moves to a condemner. He puts the hat on of condemnation. How many people in here like UFC, UFC, UFC? That's it? (laughs) We're doing a series called The Family Octagon starting after Labor Day. It's going to be cool. We're going to have some some, some serious fighters in here. It's going to be really, really off the chain. Well, sometimes those guys can do things that, that just make your stomach turn. I mean, these guys are tough. Well, the enemy, after we do it, whatever doing it means, you would think he would bolt, but he takes his, his, his foot and he plants it, boom, right in our throat. And he begins to condemn us. I mean, that's cold-blooded. Talk trash about us. In the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 10, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, the accuser, another name for Satan, accuses them before our God day and night. Day and night. He's all up in our grill. Day and night. He's hating on us. You think you've got some haters? You're going to this high school or middle school or college or whatever? Oh, that, listen. These, these haters that we're experiencing in our lives are nothing compared to the devil. And after we sin, he says, look, you messed up again. God can never use you again. You can never be a real father again. You can never be a real mother again. After what you've done, you can't serve at fellowship. You can't greet at fellowship. You can't lead a small group at fellowship. You can't preach at fellowship. Who are you? Do you realize what you have done? And and it sounds sinister, bad, ugly, because sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Sin has its kicks, but its kickbacks are like Chuck Norris. (laughs) They're they're rugged. So that's how he works. It's important to know that. That's how the enemy operates. I've always loved reptiles, snakes. When I was eight years old, something happened with a snake that I've never forgotten. It seems like just yesterday it happened. I grew up in the South, and my mother had cooked this incredible southern meal. I mean, some real soul food. Greens, cornbread, black-eyed peas, fried chicken. We were eating on a picnic table outside. The sun was setting. 
Now, our neighbors who live very, very close by were named the Arrowwoods. Nice people, but the father, Arnold Arrowwood, was a little peculiar. He was just obsessed over his yard. And I'm, I'm all about having a good yard and all that, but, but Arnold Arrowwood, I mean, he was just, and, and he had, he's one of these guys that had the real thinning hair, and he, and he combed it down into these bangs right here, and he was just a little out there. I loved his daughter, though, Tina. She was my girlfriend, Tina Arrowwood, but our relationship ended when I threw inadvertently some dog doo-doo in her hair. That's another story. So, We were eating in the middle of the meal. We are screaming. It's Arnold Arrowwood. Oh, there's a snake in the house. Oh, my gosh. So I'm turning. So I run over, jump the hedges. I'm eight years old. Look, and sure enough, in their family room was a snake behind the lazy boy. Dad comes in. Whoa, that, son, I think that's poisonous. Dad, it's not poisonous. I really believe it. I, Dad, I just read the snake book. The snake is harmless. Don't kill him. Please. Ed, okay, okay. We'll just put him in this jar. We got this big honking jar. And, and, and you can look at him for a while. Then after I finish eating, we're going to take the snake out and kill it because I think it's poisonous. So we used like a hoe or a shovel or something, eased the snake into this jar, carefully screwed the cap on, and here's the snake. The bottom. By this time, Tina Arrowwood's with me, walking with me. I'm taking the jar back very carefully to my garage. Some of the neighborhood kids heard the commotion. They're all standing around. I put the jar down again, very gingerly in the garage. Dad looks at me. He goes, son, do not touch the jar. Do not open the jar. When he lowers his eye, watch out. Because I think that snake is poisonous. Do not touch the jar. Do you understand me? I know what's best for you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I understand. I understand. I understand. So he goes around to the picnic table. I can't see him. I'm standing there looking at that snake with beautiful Tina Arrowwood at my side. <laughs> this is before Lisa. I was eight. <laughs> so some neighborhood kids had kind of walked up. Wow, look at that snake. I said, guys, this snake is non-poisonous. I don't know. I said, I'm going to pick him up. And in my head, I'm thinking like, Ed, what are you doing? Your father just said, don't do it. I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I looked at my little brother, Ben, bring me the work gloves. And I'm going to tell dad, you tell him. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> he brings me the yard gloves. I put them on. And all the neighborhood kids were like, oh. <laughs> so I unscrew top of the jar, there's a snake. Just picked him up. Back in the day, I watched Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom. Remember that show? Some of you guys are so young, you're like, what? Well, that was long before the Discovery Channel or Animal Planet. That's classic television. Just YouTube that. Marlon Perkins, that's all you got to do. No one can come close to him. So I'd seen Marlon, Jim Fowler handle snakes. I'm like, I could do this. Picked him up, no problem. He's going in and out of the yard gloves, wrapped around my hands. All the neighborhood kids are like, oh, that's a snake handler. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, I told you. It's non-poisonous. This thing's harmless. He won't bite. Dad didn't know what he's talking about. Ben, 
I uncoiled the snake. Take this yard glove off. I'm going to handle him without gloves. <laughs> no, Ed, don't do it, I said. He's fine, Ben. I know. Just take the glove off. He took it off. And when I moved my hand back very slowly just to hold this snake, <laughs> he bit me, latched onto my hand, blood spewing. I'm crying. I couldn't shake him off of my hand. I'm thinking, like, <laughs> Dad! Dad! <laughs> Finally, the snake fell off, and I just started stomping him. And he went to be with the Lord. <laughs> then, that's for all the animal activists. For then, I love animals. So I mean, anyway, then, <laughs> that was funny. Then, <laughs> then, then dad comes around the corner. And I'm like, uh-oh. I'm thinking of things poisonous. I'm like, okay, I'm going to die in two minutes, whatever. Dad comes, what happened? What happened? <laughs> in blood. And he looked, and he, 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 he got a stick and opened a snake's mouth. No fangs. Thank you, Jesus. It was non-poisonous. And I thought Dad was going to take off black beauty. <laughs> and you know what? That's the problem in many families. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Kids, we, hey kids, all of us, we want discipline. We want it. And it's time for parents, it's not easy to discipline, to step up and discipline. Where was I? Oh yeah, he did not take off black beauty. You know what he did? He looked at me and said, Ed, I know what's best for you. You learned a lesson. When I tell you something, I have your best interest in mind. That's temptation. We make a pet out of sin. Oh, no problem. Nobody knows. Harmless. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. When you least expect it, pop. Listen to your father's voice. So instead of temptation, you've got to be tethered to the truth. The truth, the word of God. Instead of lying, be led by the Holy Spirit of God. Led by him. Instead of condemnation, we need to understand the compassion and the forgiveness and the grace of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're involved in, no matter how times you've been snake bit, God will forgive you, he'll cleanse you, he'll pick you up because he wants you to know who you are and whose you are. Because Fellowship Church, when we get up in the morning, I want Satan and all of his demons to say, oh crap, they're up. Oh crap, they're praying. Oh crap, they started another campus. Oh crap, someone else got baptized. Oh crap, someone else gave their heart to Christ. Because the devil hates the throne. Whenever someone gives their life to Jesus, Whenever someone says, okay, I give you, God, the throne of my life, the devil hates it. The devil hates it when we worship individually and corporately because when you have worship, you have the bridegroom and the bride having intimacy, and with intimacy, you have reproduction. Throne issues. 
Who is sitting on the throne of your life? Ed, I'm a Christian. Great. Jesus is in your life. But is he Lord of your life? Because the moment we put self on the throne, even though we're going to heaven, what happens? Our soul is affected. What's our soul? Our mind, our emotions, and our will, and that affects our body. But when I keep Jesus on the throne, you're God, I'm not. I'm talking to believers. Everything is affected. My soul, my mind, what I think, my emotions, what I feel, and my will, the decisions that I make. And it bleeds out into my body, and I can be a difference maker in this one and only life. Throne issues. So church, I'm looking forward to this series. I'm looking forward to putting a period where the devil wants to put a comma. I'm looking forward to watching God end things that the devil thinks he can continue in our lives. I want us to know our opponent, but more importantly, to know greater is he who is in you than he who is of the world. Let's bow for prayer together. God, every one of us, every single one, no one moving or stirring, every single one of us is here for a reason. Nothing we've ever done in 23 years has been easy because we've had to fight hell by the square foot. Why? Because we're a church about throne issues, about our soul, about our mind and emotions and our will. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to give your life to Jesus Christ, I pray that right now you would make that decision. And how do I make it? You just can make it by saying this simple prayer with me. It's simple to explain, but it's the most profound thing you'll ever do. Just say these words with me to yourself. Just say, God, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've fallen short. And I turn from my sin, and I turn to you. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to rise again. And right now, I give you everything in my life. I open up the lid of my life, power wash my soul. I give you the throne of my life. I know I'm hardwired, God, for you to run the show. I give you my mind, emotions, and my will. And I turn my will over to you. Thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.